1 Peter chapter 3, and I want to share with you a few thoughts. We're just going to take a few of our Sunday nights in the month of February and speak a little bit about family matters. And uh, tonight is no different. That's where we just finished the marriage retreat. I know when I speak about this, not everybody's excited about it. If you're single, you've been waiting for a spouse for a long time, you're probably saying, oh, brother, pastor, please. Maybe some of you have gone down the road of life and you've lost a spouse or you're not, or some of you are young and say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Uh, I wanted to, I feel like God has given us a responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God. And every message we learn, there are wonderful principles in this passage of scripture, even though it talks about the marriage relationship that's very applicable to every seven-year-old or 70-year-old in the room. Never let familiarity rob you from curiosity. God is trying to teach us things, and I want to be a helping blessing to you. Apostle Peter is the human author that God uses to write the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He was instrumental in use of the Lord, but he writes to the strangers who are scattered abroad, primarily in Asia and Asia Minor and Bithynia. There are folks who had been who scattered abroad, and he writes to them to encourage him. Several major themes... Most people are, are satisfied to say 1 Peter has two major themes, um, suffering and submission. And in between both of those is hope. There is hope in the midst of difficulties and learning to submit to the laws, to my leaders, to my loved ones, and even to the lost abroad. Submission is a biblical thing. We know that because Jesus who was God, thought it not, not, not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a, and was made in the likeness of man. No greater illustration of submission than that of Jesus. And if you and I are going to be like Jesus, we can't have it our way. We're going to have to learn to be submissive. And it's one of the main things if you open the book in 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll find the first thing out of the box is the topic of salvation. He's going to talk about salvation. That's where you have that classic verse, that we're kept by the power of God unto faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So aren't you glad that God keeps you saved? You can't keep yourself saved. God is the one who keeps us saved. We're kept by the power of God. The first part is about salvation. The second uh, part of chapter 1 is about the scriptures. And he talks to us about the Word of God, how that we're born again by the Word of God. And the Scriptures are paramount in people. Whenever you're going through difficult times, knowing that you're saved gives you hope. Knowing that you have a Bible gives you hope. As he continues, he talks about sanctification. Wherefore, pull up the, the loins of your, of your mind and, and be clean, be right. Sanctification. Sanctification means to be clean and ready to be used again, like a, a dish that you had today for lunch. You clean it, you dry it off, and you put it back in the cabinet. It's been sanctified. It's clean and ready to be used again. Well, that's how God wants me to be. That's how God wants you to be. He wants us to be clean, ready to be used again. In First Peter, Peter bangs away at salvation, the Scriptures, and the need for the Scriptures in the Christian life, and then sanctification. In chapter 2, he talks heavily about separation. And when a Christian is separated, first of all, and he talks, he said, now look at chapter 2 and verse number 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, separate from things that are malice, and guile, and hypocrisies. And he says, you're going to get away from these things. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And he talks about living 
pure, holy, unadulterated lives because we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Because separation, and by the way, I am so glad. I don't know that I would have brought myself to an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, separated Baptist church on my own. However, as a child, I was exposed to this wonderful church and many other churches just like it. This is not the only church in the world that believes in biblical separation. Matter of fact, one of the blessings of having the Servants Conference is that pastors will bring their people from churches of 75, 100 people, and they, they, they have biblical separation, and they think there's, we're the only people in the world that do this. And they come to a church like this, and they see beautiful ladies dressed modestly. They see music that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. They see happy people and, and men who love their wives and wives who reverence their husbands, and they see young people that have a vibrant heart for the Lord, and they go, Wow! Well, we're not the only nuts out there. There's other nuts out there. And that really encourages them in their, in their work. And by the way, we want to be an encouragement. But separation does a couple things. It identifies you with Jesus Christ. Because inside of me, there's a real desire to blend in to this world system. I got it. I'm 55 years old. I've been a Christian since I was six years old. But I still have in me, after 49 years a strong desire to blend in rather than to stand out. I'm nervous sometimes to witness to someone. I know the gospel. I know the power of the gospel. But I don't want the rejection. I don't want the reproach. I, I'm nervous about the response. When, I, when we dress a certain way or we go skiing or we go someplace in the world and, and you kind of just want to blend in, you just like, can I just not be a Christian for a while? Now, maybe you're not like that, but I've had those feelings. We want to blend in. We don't want to stand out. But when you are a separated Christian, you realize you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You, you are very special to God. It identifies you. And that's why much of the world's Christians do not want to be separated. They want to have Christianity on their terms. They want, they want to live their way. They, don't want, they, they want to live it like the Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. Don't put any rules on. Hey, all you have to do is just love God, brother. Just love God and live in his grace. The grace of God doesn't just save you, Spanky. It sets up a classroom in your heart. And it teaches you to deny ungodliness and soberly and righteously and, and holy in this wicked world. Titus chapter 2 is as loud and clear on the grace of God. As in, it's, there's a radical grace that's absolutely uh, heretic. It's heresy. It's not true. And, and, but, uh, but spiritual separation, it identifies you. It also unifies you. And it gives you great discernment and direction. When people get to see things God's way, their, their mind is clearer. Nothing quite blurs your vision like interpersonal problems and worldliness. You fill your head with all these television, Netflix, social medias, and everything that the world wants you to have. You'll get some goofy thinking up there. You won't be able to see things clearly. Purity gets it. Immorality, goofed up headsets and minds and things, it doesn't. You can't live a holy life on a diet of that garbage. 
You young people, you want to see the next movie. Had a young person recently said, Pastor, I'm so grieved that in my years of 15 to 18, I watched some stupid things and I can't get them out of my head. They give me so much grief and, and guilt. Now I'm about ready to get married and I feel terrible because I let those movies come into my mind. And they're not pornographic, they're just filthy. Foul language, immoral, sexual innuendos, and things of that nature. And you can't, you can't reprogram your... I mean, you can. We're sending bound to grace much more abound. But boy, let's let somebody build a ramp at the top of this cliff and say, don't do that. Some of you young people, you're messing around with your phone. There's very few things happen good after 10 o'clock at night anywhere but definitely on your stupid phone. Put your phone away, go to sleep. Don't stay up all hours of the night looking every time you hear it blink up. No, leave it alone. Some of those algorithms and things of that nature are meant to get your attention at bad seasons when you're weakened. And by the way, I say it to young people, I say it to everybody. Say it to me, I say it to you. Be careful. Satan is a very patient that's why the Bible tells in this passage of Scripture, he will say, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because you have an adversary. And he's studying you. He'll wait. He'll wait. He'll let you get all kinds of people around you, then blow you up. So you can hurt the most people and hurt the name of Christ in the greatest way. It could be with our pride. It could be with pornography. It could be with, with immorality. It could be with drinking. It could be with drugs. Whatever. But separation, it identifies us, it unifies us, and it oftentimes gives us, it, it gives us direction, pure direction. I love separation. I'm glad. I don't like it sometimes because I've got an endemic, sinful nature. Worldliness is very attractive to Pastor Wilkerson, and it's attractive to you and your children, and all of us have that issue. It's a, it's a lifelong battle. That's why Apostle Paul said, he tells, look, I beseech you, therefore, I'm begging you, brethren, Present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto, not to my brothers, not to my sisters, not to my cousins, not to my peers, not to the neighbors. Present yourself wholly acceptable unto God. Then he says, and be not conformed to, but be ye by the renewing of how? How you think about stuff that you may evaluate and demonstrate and prove what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Peter is trying to help people that have been scattered abroad and they're in multiple things. This, this letter that we're reading tonight was probably read in front of thousands of people. It was no doubt copied out and read in this church in Cappadocia and over here in Bithynia and they copied it out and read it and it was spread to different churches. This was their Bible when they would go to church sometimes. They said, this is from Apostle Peter, and he was with Jesus, and we're going to make sure you're here tonight because we're going to go through what he said. He said, look, be hopeful that you're saved. Be hopeful that the Scriptures will do its work. Be hopeful that we can be uh, sanctified and separated. And then in chapter 2, he's going to go into submission. 
Submission to the laws of the land. And of course, we went over this. Remember when COVID took place? We didn't know what to do and we we're getting restraints come. And boy, what do you do? Everybody had opinions about what we should do. Just forget it all. And other folks were, you know, we got to mask up and wear diapers on your eyes if you need to. You know, just, just be careful. And boy, it was just, we just had all kinds of opinions. And we kind of said, okay, the Bible says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake to kings and for governors and those who are local magistrates. We try to say, okay, we've got to figure out how to do this as biblically as we can because we're supposed to submit to laws and to, and to, to civic leaders so that when they come after us, they'll have no evil thing to say about us. They will know that they don't have to understand us, but they respect us, and we're, we're showing submission. You see, the Lord Jesus did this. And there are times when you have to pick God over government. There's no doubt about that. And we see the apostles saying, you know, I know what you told us, but you got to decide. We already decided. We got we to choose God over man. The Hebrew children, they had to decide that. They said, you know what? You're going to do this or you're going to burn. He said, you know, maybe that's what happens to us, but uh, you don't even have to give us another chance. We got, we got this. We have a different higher authority. And there's certainly places in that, and there's places for arguments and all of it. But I, I think submission is something very valuable. And Peter, who is definitely naturally rebellious. How many of you think, I got a little bit of Peter in me? Well, I got him. I got a lot of him in me. And it's a part of the fall of man. We have that pushback against God and his ordained authorities. I got it in me. Girls. Most precious girls have it inside them. And he's going to talk about it. He said, listen, submit to your, submit to your, to your, your laws. Submit to your leaders. Submit to suffering and hardship. And that's where he uses Jesus as the example in the last part of chapter 2. Let's look at chapter 3. Look at a couple things that we're going to go into the Lord's Supper momentarily. Look, if you would please, at verse number 1. Likewise, and of course he says likewise because he's continuing the theme of submission. Another, whenever you see the word submit, you'll also see he refers to it as well-doing or doing well. And he's referring to submission. He said, likewise, you wives, he talks to the, to the subordinate first, be in subjection or submission to your own husbands, that if any of your husbands not obey the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. He said, if you're married to a fellow who does not obey the Bible and he doesn't listen to you, you've tried to talk to them, and they don't get it. They're not listening. They're not responsive to God's word or yours. He said, but they can be won by the way you live, by your conversation, coupled with respect. Let's look at the next thing the Bible says, verse number three. He said, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating of hair or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. And of course, that does not mean, in my opinion, there are people who say, well, you shouldn't, you know, that's why you shouldn't wear necklaces or you shouldn't wear earrings or you shouldn't wear makeup. And there are some dear people who have that conviction, and I'm not going to argue with that. But if you look at this verse, you know, it says, or wearing of apparel. I mean, so you don't run around with old clothes on, okay? So it's, 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 it's a comparison. It's saying, you know, it's not going to be your mascara. It's not going to be your hair. It's not going to be your jewelry. 
It's not going to be your, your dress that's going to bring the husband that God, that you're married to, back around. It will not be those outward, outward things. Look at what it says in verse number four. But it will be the hidden man of the heart, the inner person, in which is not corruptible, which you'll have for the rest of eternity. Even an ornament of a meek, that's a willingness to adjust, and a quiet spirit. It means a calmness inside of you. And so many precious, uh, precious folks that, that when, we're, when we're put in pressure situation, we're all tore up on the inside. It's all over our countenance. We're messed up. He said, you know what that's going to really help? Would be a, be a, a confidence in God. You know, meekness is a, is a gift of the Spirit of God. It is the eighth of nine attributes of a spirit-filled Christian. And it's first shown to God. If you look at those, uh, eight, those nine attributes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and it would be a good thing to put in your, in your thing here. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first three? Love, joy, okay? Those are internal, okay? Those are internal uh, things that, that God wants to have inside of me. And the Spirit of God comes. When I walk with the Spirit, He brings that love, joy, peace inside of me. But then he goes on to say gentleness and goodness and long-suffering. Those are done to other people. Gentle, to gentle, being gentle with other people, being good or generous with other people, and being long-suffering, suffering long with someone that just gets on your proverbial one nerve. Okay, what do you need? You need, you need God's Spirit to help you with that. You need long-suffering, you need gentleness. We need, we need generosity. And then he uses the last three, faith, meekness, and temperance. And that, those are three attributes that go Godward. Those are ones I express toward God. The Spirit of God helps me to have love, joy, peace internally, gentleness, goodness, and long-suffering externally, and then faith, meekness, allowing God to set the pace and the place and, and the agenda, and I'm trying to follow him. And temperance means I'm not getting all squirrely and mad and angry and uh, upset and depressed. No. Let your moderation be known to all men. Why? Why can, you, why can you be calm in the midst of a problem? When the Lord is at, that means you, he's steering this thing. I can trust him. I'm exercising faith, meekness, and temperance. I can trust him for that. Well, he says, he said, now, What's going to really help a girl who's dealing with a husband who's, uh, who's, who's sideways is going to, it's going to be uh, a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great value. God can find a girl that has those attributes. He says, okay, I can use that. That's going to be a sledgehammer to his little head. That's going to help him. She's going to complete. She's going to help come alongside, and she's going to use those things, and I'm going to use those things in her to work in him. Let's look at the next one, if we can, please. Verse number five. For after this manner in old time, holy women also, and would you read the next three verses, the four words, and underline them in your Bible. What do they do? Adorn themselves being in subjection to their own husband. They put on the adorning of submission, not because they trusted their husband, but because they trusted the Lord. Not one verse in the Bible says, wives, trust your husband. 
Was, husbands, trust your wife. Didn't say that. And then it used a personal example. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, if you do well, that thing goes back to submission, and are not afraid with any amazement. It's interesting. There are two things here, a, a fear, afraid, and amazement that oftentimes are, are on the other side of the pendulum of submission. We don't want to submit because we, I don't trust him, and I'm fearful. I'm fearful what will happen if I do this. Or amazement, like, can you believe he would say that, he would do that? And Sarah had a real issue with Abraham. And I'm not, this is not the whole message tonight because I want to get, keep going, but there are some things that all of us ought to consider here. And, if I, and basically, it goes down a lot to faith in God. Faith in trusting the Lord in this situation. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse number 7. Read the first word of verse 7. Can you please? Ready? Likewise. What's the first word again? Okay, so we're continuing with this same thought of submission, in my opinion. But now he's not talking to the wife that's dealing with a hard head. He's talking with the husband. He said, now, husband... Here's what I need you to know. Ye husbands, dwell with them, your wife, according to knowledge, knowing her, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. It's interesting. God gave six verses to the lady, and he gives one verse to the man specifically. And, and I think the reason is it's a lot harder to be a wife in a marriage relationship than it is to be a man, though the man has the greatest responsibility. He has to answer to Christ. Christ is answering to God, and you're going to be responsible for that. However, a man's job is to protect a lady physically, emotionally, spiritually, protect and provide care. And should, I should be the last one on the planet to hurt Linda in these ways. When you're hurting your wife, sir, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you're the last person on the planet that's supposed to be doing that. You're commanded by God to care for her and to honor her. You're commanded by the Lord to treat her as a very valuable thing. The most fragile things in, my, in our home are the most valuable things in our home. There's nothing more valuable than the wife in that house. And fellas, if you think you can be right with God and wrong with her, if you think you can be blessed by the Lord and treat her like a piece of garbage, you're, you're, you're whistling in the wind. Your prayer life will be hindered. There's nothing more you need and I need than help of God. You know how we get the help of God? Through prayer. And you talk about a hopeless, helpless fella. It's a fella who is not humble enough, honest enough, to, to love and care for his wife. He said, your prayers are going to be hindered. You, you're, you, that's your most valuable thing. You know, people lived a long time, centuries and millenniums without the Bible. And they had prayer. Now, I'm, not, I'm glad I don't have to choose. I don't have to choose between prayer and the Bible. I got both of them. But you can have a walk with God without a Bible. But you cannot have a walk with God without prayer. And you don't have to wonder about both of them. Please don't, 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 uh, don't quote me on that. Try to turn it around. I'm just saying, hey, we need, we need access to God. And 
Treating your wife wrong is going to create issues there that you cannot afford. If there's anything I need in this world and you need, sir, is we need the help of God. And we cannot have it if we're not willing to love and care and treasure and dwell with knowledge with the wife God gave us. Now, generally, those are the two things. Let's look at the next two verses and we'll conclude. Verse number 11, verse number 8. Would you look at verse 8? What's the first word in verse 8? This is a great verse for a pastor. Because you see where finally is in this book. What chapter is it in? Chapter 3. How many chapters are in this book? There's still a lot to say when you say finally. And in closing, (laughs) Peter was a Baptist preacher, I guarantee it. (laughs) Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Get on the same page. Have the compassion you want from God to your spouse, to your family member. Love as brethren. Love like you would your siblings as you grow up and you have a great love. I talked to my sister Janet today. Her birthday's tomorrow and Friday she goes to a Muslim country to serve for two years. And I love Janet. I'm the oldest. She's the fourth child. And Just talking on the phone and she said to me, John, I love you so much. Thank you for being out in front for our family and helping me. And We love you and I prayed with her and praying for her husband and hers. They make their way to a Muslim country to try to the use of the Lord. But there's something, I don't talk to Janet very often, but boy, just talking to her gave me a sweet bond. You know why? Because she's my sibling. You know, there ought to be that same sibling love within your family unit. So love just like you would, like your, your sibling. There's something special about kids that grow up together. Verse number eight, he says, uh, love his brethren, be pitiful. Have a lot of empathy, courteous, gracious, and kind. We need a revival of kindness in our home. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. Someone does something wrong to you, don't do it back to them. If someone calls you a name, don't call them a name. Railing is a verbal way in which we hurt somebody. If they do something wrong to you, don't do something wrong back to them. If, you know, we, we get into competitive ways within our homes and it causes so much trouble. You did this, so I'm doing this. You spent that, so I'm going to spend that. Don't get that way. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. I talked to someone not too long ago, and it just goes, well, I did hurt you because you did this. That's absolutely opposite of what God's telling us to do here. He said, if someone gives you evil, don't evil back. Someone says something hurtful to you, don't, don't say it back. Don't give railing for railing, evil for evil. He concludes with this passage, he's saying, but counterwise, opposite, blessing. If someone does something hurtful to me, well, well, what can I do to show them love through that? Knowing this, this is the confidence that you are there to call that you should inherit what? God gives us a bigger reason to love when we have hurt. And that is God has a blessing for us. You read in chapter 2, we don't have time to look at tonight, but he says, look, think it not strange when you fall into diverse temptations and trials and and strange things happen to you. He said, if if you do good, if you're happy when everything's happy and good for you, that's the world can do that. But if you can be loving, I can't help but think of our brother, Brother Joel. I don't know what's going to happen there. And I'm praying about it, and you are too. 
But, I, but the truth of the matter is, he's dealing with unsaved people. And if they die, they're going to hell. If he dies, he's going to heaven. But how he suffers through their treatment of him, we ought to pray that God give him inner man strength. Not to get evil for healing, or evil for evil, railing for railing. Why? Because he's got a better eternal blessing for handling that trial with, some, with, with God's grace. Now, I don't want to minimize what he's going through. It's not me, it's him. It's not, it's not Linda, it's his wife. It's not, it's not our girls, it's his girls. And it's not his, my mom, but his mom. And I, I can't even imagine. But there is, there's a blessing for handling things difficult. Verse number, verse number um, 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. How many things we complicate in our homes because we just... Don't put a guard upon her mouth and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Hate doing things wrong and take the high road of good and let him seek peace and ensue it. And then verse 12, let's read it together. We'll conclude. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, but the face of the Lord is against them. See, the biggest thing in our homes that will be the game changer, if you realize that God sees everything that we do, everything we say, everything that we think, and the eyes of the Lord are, are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Knowing his, his, his oversight. You know, in James chapter 2, when it says that God doesn't want us to, to have someone dressed really nice come in, oh, come on in, sit in the front. And then someone who's dressed in stinking raiment, Oh, man, why in the world? Don't you know better how to come to church? Come on, let me find you a place. Maybe we can get you in the overflow room. Sit back in the back. He said, well, you know where that all starts, that prejudice and that bias and that excuses why one person is more valuable than another person? Then we do not understand the Lord of glory. If we see things from his view and know that we have accountability to him, you'll be a better husband, you'll be a better wife, you'll be a better son, a better daughter. You'll be someone who won't give evil for evil, railing for railing, counterize, realizing, okay, hang on a second. This is not about what's happening now. This is what's going to happen one day when I have inherit an eternal blessing for handling the difficulties that God's let me come through. Sin is complicated, but I'm going to continue to trust the Lord because his eyes are open. and they, they see, He sees everything, and he's especially sensitive to the ear of the righteous person who does the right thing in the wrong times. Let's pray together, okay? Father's.